right, so without further ado, we will have our first message today, split sermon from Art Williams, entitled, My Ways Are Higher Than Yours. Good afternoon, everyone. I feel like I'm in my living room here. This message, I started out uh, looking at Christ's Sermon on the Mount. And I started chasing all these wild hairs, really how, learning how involved it was both with the society of the day and also that Jesus was speaking to Judah. And if we compare what Jesus was saying in the Sermon on the Mountains, then compare to what Paul said, we can find some variances there because of the structure of the, of the culture. <clears throat> and from that, I just started chasing so many different aspects of this, mentally, intellectually, from the heart and emotions. And the result of the whole thing is this message, and I hope that I have it organized in a way that can be followed. Because it's not going to be, as I started out, about Christ's message, Sermon on the Mount. It's going to be leading up to that. Because part of our experience as Christians is to learn his ways and to develop spiritually and learn to negotiate our ways through this life in a world that we're not part of. Some challenges are there. We're not to be part of the methods or the principles that they use or the values that they stand on. But having a changed mind and heart is leading up to what Jesus is actually saying in the Sermon on the Mount. Because when we read it superficially and we, we read, cut off your own hand if it's, or punch out your own eye, we realize that this is in the extreme. But there is a lesson there. There is an understanding there that we're to apprehend. And whether we're in a rich country like the United States, or perhaps a poor country like Kenya. And whatever our, whatever our own station in life is, whether we are wealthy or whether we're poor, the teachings of Jesus apply, and they stand firm. The applications may be different. How we apply them, the situations that we have to deal with, And whether we reap a just reward in this life, or maybe I should say a just result from my activities, or maybe an unjust result in our life's activities. Our standard isn't whether it's profitable for us in terms of this world, but whether it is profitable in his view, in his standard. And that's, I think, what Jesus is getting to in the Sermon on the Mount. And that's why he used 
some of the analogies that I use. In the things that we experience, we get to learn about him, and he gets to learn about us. But it's more than that, because when we apply his teaching, he not only gets to evaluate us, he gets to evaluate the other person. For example, I, in my last message I spoke about when I was a young person and was sharing an apartment with somebody and both of us signed the lease. And he just walked away, didn't say a thing about it. He just walked away like he had no responsibilities at all. I bought my way out of the lease, found myself. That revealed to our creator what the attitude of the other person was. Now, I had to jump through some hoops, but he helped me through those hoops and saw me uh, through the difficulties that I had because in buying my way out of the lease, getting another apartment, you usually have to put down a first month's rent, last month's rent, plus the security department. So you need three months' worth of rent to get into a new place, and here you're spending two or three months' worth of rent to get out of the old place. All of a sudden, that adds up to be a large hunk of change. <clears throat> But it's through these things and we sticking to his word and his understanding and we can grow into that and what we decisions that we make 10 years ago or 15 years ago may not be the decision that we would make today because we're not the same person because we have grown and changed. But through it all, we'll learn to make quality decisions in our lives. Quality decisions based upon his standards, not ours. And he says in Isaiah 55, 9, for our, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your th than your thoughts. His goals, his objectives, the way he does things are not necessarily the way we look at them, but he, if we follow his direction, strive to attain to his higher way, he will take care of the rest, just like he did for me with my apartment. He saw me through the whole deal. It all worked out very well for me. His goals are eternal, not temporary. Lots of times, our goals are temporary. When you get out of college, you're looking for a job. Well, before you get out of college, you're looking to graduate out of college, actually. That's maybe your first goal, is to get the grades so you can get that, that degree and that diploma. But once you get out of there, you're looking for a job. And after that, you're looking to make maybe a little bit more money so you can maybe buy a house later on. He's not detached from your hopes and your dreams. But he does prescribe a way to go about pursuing those goals and those hopes and those dreams, such a way that we're in compliance with his will. In Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, he says, Paul writing says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you your, present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be trans 
transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So it's not necessarily something that we just intellectually run across. It may be something that we have to prove by living through it. When you're a young person, at least for me, and I think I was pretty typical, someone would read a proverb to you and you're there like, I, I have no idea how to apply that. I have no idea in my life what that means. And lots of times, in trying to learn, you need examples. And ring the bell, this is my opinion. I think one of the most learning educational tools you can get on television today is the court program Hot Bench. Hot Bench. You got three different judges, three different opinions, evaluating a plaintiff and a defendant. It's informative because it informs especially young people type of defendants you might run into and cross in your own path. And in that, as a young person, I didn't think too much about applying the Proverbs to others. I was applying the Proverbs to me when it says in the early chapters, get wisdom, get understanding. And I'm out there trying to get wisdom and understanding and trying to learn. 10, 15, 20 years later, I now look at that and I say, well, I know I have a certain level of it. Was it does that other person that I'm hooking my wagon to have that wisdom and the understanding? This all comes into play in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. When Adam was alone on earth, God brought the animals before him two by two and he named them and at the end Adam realized well none of them are like me. What was the purpose bringing those animals before him and that was so he, he would realize that none of them were like him and there was somebody else coming along that was going to be like him. But up to that time he had no people problems. He would not be on a hot bench. He can't sue a rabbit. You know his biggest problem was the rabbit eating my ears off the whatever, you know, or some plant growing and he had to take the choppers and trim them back. Many of the problems in this world are directly related to other people or to decisions of other people and sometimes we have no control over those decisions. Negotiating our way through that while maintaining spiritual development Utilizing the mind of Christ to seek his wisdom, his teaching, that will result in his will, his way, his timing, and his priorities. And through all of that, seeing that our heart is changed by him and approved by him, and being led by the Spirit, and looking back, and whether in what we have done, have we 
illustrated, have we seen the fruits of the Holy Spirit in what we've done? One of the most difficult situations we all have faced in the past and will face in the future is when the conditions are right wherein you come to a conflict between the head and the heart. And through that conflict, we may very well become disengaged with his will, his way, his timing, his priority. The head is the source of intellect. And the way I'm meaning it today, the heart is the source of emotion. And probably for young people, when you meet that perfect girl or that perfect guy and the hormones are running wild, And then you look intellectually at some of the things the person might say or do. And all of a sudden you find yourself in a conflict. I love this person. I can't live without this person. And then the mind comes in and says, yeah, but they're a deceiver and they're a liar. They lied to me. Oh, I can change them. And down that road we go. Probably there are many examples in the scriptures of people that get involved in the conflict between head and heart, and David is one of them. David and Absalom. Can you imagine being a father of a, of a son who is striving to take your kingdom from you? Or... David worked it out himself when it came to Bathsheba. We don't have any visibility on Daniel's three friends if they went any, had any conflict between the intellect and the emotions when standing before the fiery furnace. But they stood firm. We're going to get some, to some other scriptures here in a minute, dealing with the mind and the heart. Because through all of this, his method of making judgments might be a little bit different from ours. In Isaiah 11, 1 through 3, it reads, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of Wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. How do you discern what's in another person's heart.
especially if you're a young person and you're in love with somebody. Many of the cases in Hot Bench involve money. I'm short of them. I got to get my car fixed and I need $500. I'll pay you back with my tax refund. Of course, this is July. I'll pay you back with my tax refund. If the person doesn't have enough money to fix his car now, how many more people is he going to borrow from before he gets his tax return? And is it ever going to happen? As the judge said to one person, there's a spot in hell reserved for you. You can test the character values of other people, whether they lie to you, whether they're deceivers, whether they keep their word. Some of the things that we give our hearts to, we've already touched on other people, but we also might give our hearts to our job, our money, a title, position, may even give it to our country. We may put it to give it to possessions and cars. Of course, the most tricky part of the whole deal is when we give it to our own intellect, our own pride, and our own vanity. The lessons in the book of Job, those might be the diff most difficult at all to discern and for us to detect in ourselves. But in Matthew 18.36, Jesus gives us a little insight into giving our hearts to our country. Because he says, my kingdom is not of this world, else would my servants fight. If you, the kingdoms of this world, when they fight, are not fighting to bring about the kingdom of God. And none of the nations will. At the Battle of Armageddon, Jesus, with his army, fights against the nations, save one. It says in the scriptures, Judah will fight at Armageddon. And if we go back to Zechariah 12 and read through there, we'll see how the governors of Judah and the governors of Jerusalem will stir the people up to fight. If we give ourselves under the control of the military of the nations of this world by volunteering to be in those military services, we're putting ourselves under their total control. And they're not doing the will of God. The purpose of the military is to enforce the political will of the nation. In our country, the political will of those that are in charge made up of Democrats, Republicans, or Independents. Some of which in the past have made statements like when it came to legislation on tobacco, well, we don't want to destroy the tobacco industry. After all, they, they supply millions of dollars in tax revenue to the government. Oh, 
So let's keep smoking and killing people and having die from cancer and everything else. That's called Babylon. Described back in Revelation 18. Babylon. In Proverbs 4.23, it gives us in some insight about dealing with our heart. 4.23, Proverbs. Keep your heart with all diligence. Diligence. It takes work to keep your heart in check. There's so many things out there that grab a hold of our heartstrings. Whatever they may be, and especially when we're young. Especially when we're young. Life is new. It's exciting. It's challenging. And we have all this energy. And we want to learn. And we want to do. He continues. For out of it spring the issues of life. And that's where we get into the court battles, the issues of life. When all of a sudden, the conflicts between people become great issues. He continues with information about our heart, telling us to keep our heart with all diligence, putting forth a very good effort to do so. Matthew 12.35. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. Again, there's a statement there giving us guidance in evaluating good and evil. Making some status decision about others who we may want to hook our wagon with, where his or her heart is at. And we bring him into these decisions because if he's as part of our decision making, we can be assured that if we're seeking him with an open mind, keeping our heart in check or trying to keep our heart in check, and it's hard to walk away from something when your heart is really pulling at you. But he says in John 14, 13, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. How is the Father glorified if we disobey the teachings of Jesus? It's interesting because some people say, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, as if there are no qualifications to it. There are qualifications to that statement, first of all, because he's, he's, he's talking to his disciples, not the general world, and there's a whole bunch of parallel scriptures that are associated with that statement. And one aspect of it that's not made clear is, is he referring to the time frame now in this life? Or is he looking out into the future? When you will be glorified with him as an eternal being. And while he may not fulfill a request now, he will fulfill that request then. And if we 
keep on the straight and narrow. The Father will be glorified, and he will glorify you. Continuing with the premise of whatever you ask, John 16, 24. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. So there's one of the qualifications. That your joy may be full. And continue on that same thought in Matthew 13, 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Joy, joy over what he found in the hidden treasure. In this case, he's referring to the kingdom of heaven. And so if we put the kingdom of heaven in its proper status, we can better understand God's priority, his will, his way regarding to take, taking a fellow Christian believer to court. Usually when you go to court, it's about a physical thing. God's priority isn't physical things we're going to find out that one of his major priorities is harmony and unity within the church. Taking a brother to church to, to court doesn't further that priority. And in fact, some of the subjects Jesus refers to in the Sermon on the Mount, murder does nothing to bring about unity and harmony within the church. Adultery does nothing to bring about harmony and and unity in the church. Divorce does nothing to bring about harmony and unity in the church. An eye for an eye does nothing about bringing out forth unity in the church. And, unleavening, and, and regarding loving your enemies, how can you love your enemies if you sign up to be in the military and voluntarily go out and want to kill them? Because you've given your heart to the nation rather than to God. And God says, my kingdom is not of this world else I would fight for it. Now there's another scripture and I couldn't find it because in my mind I paraphrase scriptures and then I go back and I try to search them. I can't find them because I don't have the right words in my mind. But there's a scripture someplace that talks about when you're called by God, when your mind is opened up and he says, don't change anything. And then you can read about the Roman soldier that came to Jesus. So there's a difference between if you were drafted into service or you went into service and you did not know about the teachings of Jesus. That's a different situation if you already know the truth and then you volunteer, I want to sign up. Whole different ball of wax there. And I think there's also some insight in how he deals uh, with people. I have a, a very strong man in the ministry who was in the Marines. And he, he told a story one time how he wanted to get out of the Marines so badly because he couldn't follow the ways of God. And he was out on this hill, and he was yelling and screaming out in what he thought was the middle of nowhere, yelling and screaming at the top of his voice, all the things that are wrong with the Marine Corps. 
and how he couldn't obey God because he was in the Marines. And then he looks over around the bushes, and there's a squad of Marines. <laughs> he was a little embarrassed, and he was hoping that none of the superior officers were down there because he was litigating at the time to get out of the Marine Corps, which he, he eventually did, and he got into the ministry. Maxine knows who I'm talking about. She was up in Chicago. <clears throat> Continuing with God's priorities in John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you again. This relates back to growing fruit and sustaining fruit. It's not open-ended. He's not saying here, well, let's see, I think I'd like to be president of the United States. I think I put that in my prayer book. And I'd like to have an $8 million palatial estate. Yeah. No, no, no. That's not what's going on. His method of making judgment, we kind of hit on that before in Isaiah 11, 1 through 3. I think I'll skip over that since we already uh, did kind of hit on that, that he judges not by his eyes, not by the hearing of his ears, but what's in your heart and what he can do to manipulate, change your heart, make you see the path that you should go in. There are a number of things that God hates, and those are also, I think, in my own mind, priorities that are found somewhere in the Sermon on the Mount. Six things does the Lord hate, even seven are abomination unto him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. You know, now there's, there's an interesting one because there's a man whose name was Saul in the New Testament, whose, whose name was changed to Paul. Hands that shed innocent blood, his whole life was turned around. God works in different ways. With Moses, it was a burning bush, non-consumed. With Paul, it was something different. And for most of us, it's entirely different too. It's more calling from the spreading of the word and coming to that understanding. But he continues on. He hates a heart that divides, devises wicked plans and feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies. And here's one. One who sows discord among the brethren. Back to the, the legal things we were talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. Divorce. Eye for an eye. Loving your enemies. Adultery. Murder. All cause division amongst brethren. Christianity is not something that is contained within national borders. You get out and fight in the military, you might kill another Christian in another country. He doesn't want that to be done. There's a German man who's Christian, and he had already been in the German army at the start of World War II. 
He went through the entire war as a German soldier, never fired his rifle once, and he was in the front lines. <laughs> now, I don't know if nobody just noticed he didn't fire his rifle, or maybe he just never had the opportunity. Maybe when the battle started, somebody said, hey, we need a cook and bottle washer help back here. You come back here with us. I, I don't know. But he went through the entire war and never had to fire his, his, his rifle one time. So God will watch over you even in those situations. But avoiding discord among the brothers is a high priority to God. It's higher than physical possessions. It's higher than trying to obtain or support those physical possessions through court battles or through adultery or through divorce. I, one of the story, when one very large church organization split in the many splinter groups, husband and wife went through different ways. And one of them was told by a minister in one of the groups, well, we should divorce him. He has a different religion. A whole bunch of people, we were sitting down talking. There's nothing different between the religion. The theology is absolutely the same. What's different is the administration. How one of those organizations was run, I would just say, as an authoritarian dictatorial cult. The other one was a typical Christian church. Regarding the Sermon of the Mount, in my NIV study Bible, there's a little comment. Still hear me? Still here? Jesus explains what he expects of members of his kingdom. The moral and ethical standard called for in the sermon is so high that some have dismissed it as being completely unrealistic or have projected its fulfillment into the future kingdom. There's no doubt that he gave the sermon as a standard for all Christians and that the standard cannot be met by our own power. And for some of, it, uh, of the teaching, it is true that it cannot be met by our own strength, but certain parts can be. And that's where I want to, I think, conclude my message which is where I actually started the message. When I started to write this message, that's where I started with the Sermon on the Mount. But I got digressed by the intellect and the heart and all the background that goes into the development of the Sermon on the Mount. And I thought it some Matthew 6.33 sums up the whole uh, message here today where it says, Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will fall into place. And if you have some hoops you have to jump through, they're for your growth and your development. You may not even know what that growth is, what the development is. It may not even become visual to you or you may not be cognizant of it for 5, 10, 15 years later. But you are being developed by Jesus, by God the Father, and the things that you experience. 
follow his instructions and obtain his blessings.